0: And I had never gone into a wind tunnel for testing. It wasn't until like Phil and I started working together and we went into the wind tunnel the first time and I didn't get like all of the prototypes completed because they're all like these hack works (laughs) like (laughs) up through the night and like, well, our wind tunnel date is this day at this time. I'm like, okay, well bring what you have. So I brought everything and he's like, let's throw it in the tunnel.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Andrew, and I'm Michael, and this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hi everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. And today we've got a guest that Michael and I have been trying to wrangle for a while, but he's... um, he's slippery and he's brought one of his uh, <laughs> <laughs> slippery in the sense of getting a hold of for an interview, but uh, he's brought a new collaborator along who we're very excited to talk to. And uh, of course I'm talking about Phil White, who you may know from his uh, his Cervello background and working at four eyes now and Nick van Bearden, who um, uh, hopefully I did a decent job pronouncing your name. Um, but uh, very recently Nick and Phil have launched a company with some pretty remarkable wheels and pretty remarkable claims about uh, the performance that's uh, available from these. So, Phil and Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us.
2: Thanks. It was really interesting to uh, to learn about your product. It was actually someone who I was uh, doing an uh, a bout of aero testing on in the fields of rural southern Ontario who, uh, who pointed me in the direction of a triathlon Canada magazine article. And he said, have you heard of these wheels? And I said, no. And he said, these things have a crazy high ho- I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but like he said, these, these wheels have a, a, a very, very interesting characteristics and they do this and they do that. And when he told me, when he prefaced, when he summarized the article for me, I said, that's impossible. <laughs> like you, you misread something and when you're talking, you're talking nonsense. Um, and then when I saw the, you know, kind of the names attached to it, I was like, hmm, may, I definitely need to read that article. And then when I read the articles, it's still, you know, I still had the goggle eye effect, but uh, uh, definitely my interest was piqued at that point of, uh, of, of wanting to learn a lot more about it.
1: Yeah. So why don't we, I guess, get into the technology. So we've got uh, a wheel that doesn't stall and keeps producing more and more thrust as a, as a disc wheel. Um, so Nick, why don't you tell us about kind of the, first of all, the idea, um, and, and how you came about coming up with this idea? Cause it's super creative.
0: Um, yeah. Okay. So I, I used to race and, and I, because I, when I raced, I was, uh, a more lightweight female rider. So you don't produce the same power as some of the, the stronger men riders, even though I was pretty good on the bike. Um, and I didn't have the weight behind it. So if there was, Aero equipment, it was always heavier and it was always far more susceptible to crosswind forces. So you would be, you always ran the risk of either being blown off the road Hmm. or even if it was a sort of like a a medium wind day, um, you're spending so much of your energy uh, stabilizing, restabilizing, sort of fighting the wind rather than just putting it into your pedals and like racing. So like you lose that whole kind of like mental Um, like the, the racing mindset, like, like sticking to your game plan, all of that stuff. Like there's so many things that can throw you off and, and wind and conditions were always one of them. And then when you chose to go with a more aero wheel, you always kind of like, it it was like this, uh, it's a direct, um, relationship between increased aerodynamics and increased weight, which Mm -hmm. meant that you're putting the same amount of Watts out no matter what. And you have to turn that wheel. You have to climb up hills with it. Um, you, you have to run off the bike too, which is another big thing. And if it's like, you only have so many matches to burn in a race. And and if you're using them all trying to like ride this aero equipment or fight the wind um, and try not to be blown off the road, then that's, that's a, a, it is a serious concern. But then going beyond that, it's, it's not, so yes, I race at a higher level, but most of the population, or the racing populations, so like you look at any of the Ironmans, half Ironmans, um, even like masters road cycling, beginners getting into any kind of sport, even people going in like doing all these weekend rides, they want to go faster. Everybody wants to go faster. It's why mm-hmm. people love the sport. Like they get into it, it's exciting. You feel free. For whatever reason, you get into the sport and you love it and you attach to it and you go with it. Um, you always get into that. Let's upgrade our equipment. And as you want to upgrade the equipment, there's always that, okay, let's go faster, faster, faster. And there's always this kind of like break-even point, which I feel like for most of the racing and riding population happens way too soon. Hmm. And I remember hearing, and I remember, so it was Kevin McKinnon who said it at the time because I'm like, all these things stick in my brain, but he said, (laughs) because he used to race pro and like he'd he'd always tell stories because I used to ride with him a lot. And he'd always tell stories about um, like back in his racing days, cause he raced pro and he would like try and like break all these carbon bikes, like some of the first iterations of carbon fiber in the, in the sport. And he's like, okay, I'll always pick aerodynamics over weight. And of course, like at the time I never said anything because I'm like, oh yeah, okay, sure. Awesome. That's the thing. <laughs> but I'm like, why? <laughs> like why? And then also so it's like, cause it didn't make any sense in the first place. And to me, I was like, did nobody ever like sit back and think, wait a minute, is there a way that you could solve that problem? Um, and I then,
2: think like- that the, the, the guy in the room was, was one of the guys to solve that <laughs> problem, not to be, not to put too fine a point on it, Nick. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: so it's like, I, it was, it was this perplexing thing where I was like, wait a minute, like did somebody stop to think and forgot to start again? Kind of thing. Like it's like, and then I, I've always been kind of a, tinker and I've always just done stuff and I've been working with carbon fiber for half my life just oddly and it was even before um carbon fiber was what do you do with carbon
2: fiber when you're when you you mentioned that you work with it what sort of uh, what sort of work you do because uh, that part of that part of your uh, I think professional life at least my my impression of is is you're sort of flying under the radar a little bit so can you tell us a little bit about your history in carbon too
0: um my My dad was, he, so he was like a yachtsman. I don't even know what you call it. Um, So he raced at a very high level in sailing. And at the time, the only, the only industry that composites, I mean, there were a few like F1 car, like race cars, high, high performance, Mm -hmm. but then also in super high end sailboats, um, composites. And at the time it was mostly uh, fiberglass and some Kevlar and then kind of carbon fiber got into it. And I was into biking and my dad used to always do fiberglass. Like he, he still makes model airplanes and things. like that. <laughs> so I was like, Oh, okay. I know exactly how to do it. And I was kind of surprised to, to think of, well, to find out how, that carbon fiber is exactly the same. You just use a different, um, resin. Um, but the, you know, how you go about it is exactly the same. And then I just started tinkering and started making things. And that was, I don't know, 25 years ago, like 20, I don't know. I was probably 20, not even 20. And I started making parts for my bike and I started just kind of playing around with it. And then since then I've gotten into, now I do carbon fiber repair. So bike frames, the whole industry has gone into carbon fiber and the, you know, good thing and bad thing about carbon fiber is it's, it's super lightweight and super stiff but only in one direction. So if you crash, mm-hmm. high incidence of cracking. It's super brittle in the other direction. So there's a lot of repairs that have to happen, um, and that's one thing that. So I've been doing that for years, and uh, that it comes from anywhere. So I repair broken bike frames of of the carbon fiber nature.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's an incredible skill.
0: Well, it's a lot of work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so you you you
2: know you were riding wheels that were that were arrow, but maybe not as stable as you would like, especially as a as a lighter athlete. Um, and you you have twenty years of experience in in carbon fiber. Um, c- connected those dots for us. How do you get from from those two things like this obvious need right. to your obvious ability to soar cycles?
0: So the so I, I it's that whole tinkerer thing. So I I always played around with stuff, and I always used to make stuff and modify things and i wouldn't be shy to like modify my own race equipment even though it was like frowned upon well
1: <laughs> uh, oh, that's how you' don't stuff.
0: <laughs> like never change anything on race morning i always did <laughs> um so it, i like i i always did that kind of stuff and then i got into carbon fiber while i was sort of in racing did that kind of thing and it was just this natural progression of you have a problem and you solve it and i always just solved it by doing it like i i didn't hmm. My go-to was never, oh, where can I buy this? Or what store do I go to? Or is there a product like that? I was just like, what do I have? And how can I change it to be better? And and that's that's how it really started. Because that it bothered me that much. And then I was like, it's such an easy, it's such an easy problem. Not an easy problem to solve, but it can have a very simple solution. And the simplest solution is always the best one. So I just started kind of yeah i just started that way prototyping like basing it on my own wheels and modifying my own equipment and going from there
1: so the i mean the classic construction of carbon fiber is make it as stiff as possible um but in in your case you've gone the opposite direction so realizing that maybe stiff isn't the way to go. So the, the wheels themselves are definitely stiff in terms of the structural strength, but the, the fairing or the aerodynamic portion of them, you've you've gone the completely opposite direction. So what was, how did you figure out that that might be faster than going with a traditional arrow shape?
0: Um, well, well, two things. So first was it had to do with crosswind forces. And again, being a rider that was susceptible to crosswind forces being blown off the road, um, you need something that can buffet or absorb or dissipate those wind forces as you ride so that you can just race. And like there, so there's two things that are non-changeable at the time anyways. So one is the wind force. You can't change that. um, Nor can you predict it. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is if you have aero equipment, it's going to be wider cross section and it is rigid. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's not adaptive at all. So if wind hits it, you you know, you have a an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object. The end result is pretty obvious of you're going to be the <laughs> the one losing out.
2: The proverbial moving, movable object, yeah.
0: It is. So yeah. So that's where I'm like, the only, and it does really make sense. And this, th- so this is that whole thing of like, you said it before, connecting, you can only connect the dots, like connecting the dots, right? But you can only connect them looking back. And it's like, once you start prototyping, that's when you start to see those dots start to connect and you're like, oh, I get mm, it now. And then you prototype further and you just keep like leapfrogging back and forth like that. And that's kind of what I did. And then it, it became very obvious very soon that what you needed was something st- it, it had the purpose of, so I always saw it as like an endoskeleton and an exoskeleton, like an internal structural thing with, and that had its job of being super stiff, super strong, um, but lightweight, um, which didn't li- limit what the structure looked like. It didn't have to be um, airfoils. It didn't have to concern itself with airflow over it. It just needed to be as strong and light as possible. Hmm. And then the second thing was um, the outside shell, which is what the wind sees, or the wind hits or flows, flows across. And the only job of that was to be the absorbing thing and the thing that holds onto the wind or can be adaptive or more aerodynamic. And again, it like, it took several tries at it to, to figure all of this out and connect all those dots. But once you sort of see that, you're like, oh, okay, I yeah, yeah, get it. Um, and it really did take until like, it wasn't even until I had done all of these prototypes and I had never gone into a wind tunnel for testing. It wasn't until like Phil and I started working together and we went into the wind tunnel the first time and I didn't get like all of the prototypes completed because they're all like these hack works (laughs) like (laughs) up through the night. And like, well, our wind tunnel date is this day not this time. I'm like, okay, well bring what you have. So I brought everything and he's like, let's throw it in the tunnel. And the one where I was like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> so I was like, "Ah!" <laughs> so that it was like it was very telling. Like where we did get to see a whole lot more um, unexpected positives that I probably mm. would not have foreseen otherwise. Um, and that's also like how we've gone at it since: is prototype it, throw th- some things. I'm like. Well, what should we do? We should maybe try this. And what about this? I'm like, I don't know if it'll work. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. You throw it and go, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about this. But then you look at that. So based on those results, you sort of research what's happening and you can reconnect all those things. And that's how you keep getting forward and forward and forward
2: and i want to throw it over throw it over to phil and i'm sort of breaking the 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 chain of questions but i think it's a, it's a natural flow so so here comes nicole with this next best thing and this is and uh, these are andrews words but i think they might be apt what uh you know you probably hear a lot of that from people pitching you ideas and i know that uh you know we we've, <laughs> we've been we've been two of those people phil <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: that's a good point that's actually, a little yeah. bit of a funny
2: yeah that's 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 a little bit of a side story but uh what uh you you know, when you when you hear this idea, what, what sort of sparks your interest and, and how do you, you know, sift it apart from the the other stuff that you probably get quite a bit of uh, inundation with?
3: Well, yeah, it's, um, you know, especially as the innovation officer for Pond Bike, um, you know, you'd get a lot of people coming up to you and then I think they, uh, everyone else in in the company, anytime someone, loony one came along, it was like, give it to Phil. (laughs) (laughs) He's used to my type. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, you know, sometimes you you had some real, some ideas that were way out there, shall we say. And, uh, yeah, you have to listen. And it's like, you know, every once in a while, it's a a pretty neat, uh, you know, some pretty neat ideas come up. I did find, I mean, this is way off topic on this one, but I did find the one big thing was that a lot of people had really cool ideas or potentially cool ideas, but they never prototyped it or anything. They were always like, no, oh, you, should, you should pay me uh, for this idea and take it over and do all the work yourself. It's like, <laughs> no, that's like, I have no idea if this is a good idea. You should prove to me this is a good idea. So problem, promise, proof. You just got to do the proof, like do the prototype. And um so, yeah, there were, there were a lot of times that people didn't bring proof. And, um, and so with Nick, it was, uh, well, I had a bunch of people, it was bugging me at the Toronto Triathlon Festival with this, um, this wheel that this, uh, this woman had made. And I was like, well, that's interesting. I go, oh, a wheel. us wait what are we going to do? This is it more round than any other wheel? It's like, it's like, it's like. How do you make a wheel better than a wheel? Like we've only been optimizing this for like the last millennia or so, and I'm kind of going, kind of virtual roll of the eyes. Is like, oh yeah, a more a more round wheel. Here we go, and uh, so, um, but eventually, you know, it's like I, I think I, I said. Well, I'm not. This sounds pretty loony. And, uh, you know, I've been in enough wind tunnels and I've pretty much tested, I think, probably every good aero wheel out there. I knew pretty much and I'd, I'd just done a bunch more work on wheels. I had a pretty good idea of what was a good aero wheel. And I was like, this is a kind of a silly idea. Anyway, so I said, well, uh, I'll go see it. and uh, But I'll do it like when I'm kind of going in that neck of the woods anyways, because Nick was up in Barry at that point. So <laughs> I uh, thought I'd just kind of slide by on on a trip somewhere else. And, and so I stopped in and, and it was like, and I, and I go in and, and, and it's like, okay, this is interesting. But she says, I got these two models and it's like, okay, that's kind of cool. And she says, let me show you how it works on a, on a video. And, uh, and I was like, and she showed me the one and it was just, it's basically a, a bike and a wheel on a skate roller skate. Place. actually we've got it on the, on the source cycles.com yeah. website now. So it's on there.
2: I'll, I'll link, I'll link to it for the listeners. Yeah, I've watched yeah. it. It's pretty cool. And
3: so you go, and so it goes and, you know, she puts the, the fan on sideways blowing right at it, keeps moving it around. It doesn't really do anything. It's like, yeah, it's kind of what you expect. <laughs> and then she puts her, uh, her wheel on it with a flexible, uh, face on it. And it just goes, it just glides forward. It just like, like it's like it's magic. And it's like, that's freaking cool. And I remember going, from from the virtual rolling of the eyes to like the virtual opening of the eyes, well, that's freaking cool. Uh, that is neat, and uh, awesome. And so that that's kind of again just a prototype. It's all it took was a prototype to get you know, okay. It wasn't perfect, but it was like yeah. The question, the thing was, there's something there. There's definitely something there that no one else has really has really figured out. So it was like that's that's kind of what sucked me was sucked me in was it's like this is cool. There's something here. I don't totally understand it, but there's something here.
1: And I think it takes um, it takes a special mind to be able to disassociate with the traditional ways of doing things like carbon has always been and cycling has always been stiffer, stronger. Let's make it more rigid. And this is going in the complete opposite direction with this flexible membrane. So it's like I mean, all the credit to you for for coming up with a super innovative idea, um, because most people are not looking in that space. Most people are going the opposite direction.
2: Hmm. And we sort of danced around the design a little bit, but uh, Nick, if you don't mind, just uh, just take us through it. What your current iteration looks like, uh, you know, as best a picture as you can paint. And of course, folks, go 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 check out the website, and you can see it for yourself. But for the you know the benefit of the listening public in their cars who don't want to pull out their phones.
0: Um. So don't want to pull out their phones. <laughs> you can later. <laughs> uh, okay. Um. So the, currently they look like so. Just from the outside, it looks like any other disc wheel I mean up from from not far away but from a distance it would look like any other disc wheel mm-hmm. it's it's kind of indiscernible. like you, when you go up close if you were to touch it you could easily see as soon as you see how it works so it does really move and react uh and it reacts it's very it's so it's super highly responsive Phil and I went to the wind tunnel where do you go three three times the wind tunnel just trying to figure out materials um like tolerances like stiffness like everything tension like um all of all of that stuff of what holds onto the wind best like what reacts to the wind what is the most aerodynamic like the best balance of every single thing and then we've done wind tests like crosswind tests of stability as well and yeah so from the outside it is something that looks exactly the same as another wheel but it reacts completely differently so it is morphable it is um I don't know how you'd say it, elastomeric in nature on the outside, the inside. I think
2: that's the first time that the word elastomeric has ever been spoken on this podcast. And I hope it's not the last. Because you I, you're welcome. It's a, it's a cool word. Thank you. Thank you very
3: much. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty neat. Like we we tried, like when we first went in the tunnel, that first time when Nick had this just a pile of stuff, I said, just let's bring everything. And I had a, brought a bunch of control wheels that we knew that that I had right. really good data on and was really really positive about them. I knew exactly how they behaved. And it's like. And we put the thing put things in and it was like, okay, this is a... like some of them are a little bit better. One was the one that we actually really keyed on was actually slower um than the other wheels from like uh plus to, but plus minus ten Nick was like it was slow. Mm-hmm. It was definitely worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then well, they were also it like handmade
0: stalls. rims of like yeah, so it's
3: yeah. Yeah. We got and right. um yeah, Nick it. I mean, they were actually they were all rideable, I think, rims at that point. We've had some <laughs> Non-ridable rims. uh, (laughs) You just got to make stuff and try it, right? It's like, so yeah, Yeah, totally. And uh, so we did, and we've done the subsequent tests. We've actually done them uh, down in San Diego um, at LSWT. And those guys are great because they'll, you know, you ship them a bunch of stuff. And, uh, you know, we don't even ship them wheels, we ship them discs of MDF with these stretchy things on them and we say oh i just assemble this like this we send them a just,
0: video <laughs> it'll like- fit in your thing <laughs>
1: are they the ikea style instructions that you've got there they were even worse than that (laughs) because most of them had to be shipped off
0: before they were really even fully thought through or done like it was always that (laughs) because we we always sent a lot of stuff and it was a lot of prototyping and you had to kind of figure it out as you went and also the last few times that we uh sent over stuff we were in lockdown for like well the last year and a half so good luck trying to find stuff to make random wheels out of You know, when a hardware stores and every single store in the city is on curbside delivery, like you put in your order, which I don't even know. The way I shop for my prototyping is I walk up and down Mm -hmm. the aisles of like a Home Depot or a Walmart or anywhere, and I look for things that do things. I'm like, I don't even know. People (laughs) ask me, like, what are you looking for? I'm like, you probably can't help me. (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll know when I find I'll it. I'll know
0: when I find it. I'm okay, <laughs> and it, yeah. So it was it was always last minute, and I think a bunch of the um ship, well, the last two shipments I know for sure. Like the guys at LSW two are incredible, um, because we ship them stuff that inqu- <laughs> required a whole lot of explanation and just do this and do this. And here's a little tiny marking and match this up with something else here and put this tape on here. And like, so they were, they were really awesome.
3: But yeah, like the original, the original ones were not, were not that quick. I mean, but there was definitely something to them. So it was like, you got to then play with the different thicknesses of uh, different materials and different stretches. And, you know, it was, it was just like, you just keep, like it was, I guess like someone said, well, why didn't you model it? And it's like, I wouldn't even know where to start to model it. It's (laughs) like, you know, like.
1: No. Yeah. Yeah, I was about to bring that up, actually, as we've had a guest on the show before, Victor Major, who did um, numerical optimization of wheel shapes. And he did this two dimensionally. And this is based on, um, you know, a certain fork spacing and a rigid body. And anyone who's done any numerical work in the past knows that as soon as things start moving, like that, that is a nightmare to deal with. It is so difficult to model. Um, it seems simple, but it's, it's almost impossible. So that's kind of where the wind tunnel comes in handy.
2: And even with his model, if you remember, he he talked about how he had to cut down the number of parameters, or he had to set rigid parameters on his wheel. He had to cut down the numbers of degrees of freedom in order for it to like even compute within a reasonable amount of time. And this is with a rigid uh, a rigid wheel. So yeah, it's and super a two D simulation instead of a three D. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: but it's it's an incredibly complex problem, uh, which again goes back to my point of of how impressive and of an innovation it is um but just to give context i guess for everyone listening um phil you've tested a lot of wheels in the past and the difference between say a good and a not so good disc might be what 5 10% maybe maybe 15 or 20 at the high end
3: yeah i mean the, the a so like a flat disc is really not that mm-hmm. not that arrow I mean, it's better than nothing but it's you know the difference between a flat disc and a, a lenticular disc is significant but yeah like you're right like 15 20% max
1: and I mean that's that's generally speaking a, a big gain. But what kind of gains were you seeing with kind of the optimized soar design that, that you've been working on?
3: I, what are they, Nick? It's like it's it's well over a hundred percent better. Like if you look at yeah, easily it's you, almost you're gonna like if you look right? at the the charts on there, and we didn't make it up. It's not worth making up. I mean, yeah. what, what are we gonna? we have nothing to sell so it's
2: like... <laughs> more, more on that more on that later listeners. So, uh, I mean
3: we just took it, the raw data from the tunnel and it's like you can see just how much faster it is like it just everything stalls around that same kind of yeah 12 15 degree if you look at an air if you look at an airfoil um, you know it's hard to get an airfoil to, to do better than that I mean and so people are doing a good hmm. job on these like rigid, uh, but we're, we're not rigid, you know, it's designed to move. Um, so from that standpoint, then we're completely different realm of how it works. And it's like, it's a just, it just goes all the way out to 30. So we've got two versions now we've done like one was not quite as, as optimized for, uh, for the movement. And it does about like 20, 23 or something. And then the other one goes what, right out to 30. So, 30
0: it stalls. No. And it keeps producing more thrust as as the, the wind. So as it doesn't stall, it also keeps dropping in drag, which is wow.
1: seen yeah. as, so
0: as negative drag is seen as thrust to the rider.
1: And hence your skateboard moving across the table. Yeah,
0: so the, it's the same. So at the more direct crosswind, which normally would have been a highly unstable force, now becomes a propulsive force, which is you're kind of flipping the you flip in the game Mm.
2: there. (laughs) So one of your, one of your kind of state, I I, I imagine one of your stated goals, you pretty much spelled it out is to reduce that input. Well, it's not steering input because your rear wheel, but the, the side, you know, the, the horizontal component of that force, right? So you want propulsive force, negative drag, you don't want the, the horizontal force. Um, And so we just talked about, you know how much more, how much faster, or how much more propulsive these these wheels are, but how much less? I don't know what the right term is. How much less side load are you experiencing with your wheel at whatever reasonable yaw angles? Let's say up to 15 percent versus a traditional flat or lenticular disc. That's a
3: that's a neat question because we've it's it's really difficult to measure that. Um, we've put tunnel or put different wheels with like a, a side a side uh, fan on or a fan on the side of it. And you can visibly see that uh, the skin on on one of our soar wheels is just absorbing it. Like whether it's a deep dish or a, uh, a full disc, it just absorbs it. Just kind of, you know, hmm. you don't see the rim actually moving. And everything else, you see the rim just vibrating like this. Um, so it's really, but the question is, how do you, how do you model that? How do you measure it? Um, and how do you get it, you know, representative? So we've been looking at doing some work in a wind tunnel with, Unsteady flow to try and you know model gusts in that, um, but I think that uh, I think in this case it's it's a little bit still uh, art or We haven't figured out how to totally model it yet. So you know the fact that we can get you know that small lightweight uh, riders are happy riding a disc in pretty much any weather, uh, any wind condition. Okay, you can argue how much it is. It's massive. Because that they don't, they don't mind doing that, and they and they come back and they say, "You know not only was it really comfortable, but I just like i can 't believe how fast I went,
2: yeah well, that's a proverbial pudding right it doesn 't matter what the wind tunnel tells you if the rider doesn't experience it that yeah. way then then who cares right but yeah, so that that i i can I think you can definitely take that to the bank
1: The other thing to note with a lot of wind tunnel tests is they 're done kind of in isolation of the frame and a lot of the other components, so yeah, you may be seeing a a benefit that shows up in the wind tunnel but rarely does it show up when you're on the road and the fact that again like you said Michael you've got riders coming back who are saying yes this is you know just as good as you're saying it is that's the huge huge vote of confidence as well
2: mm mm-hmm. So I do want to ask you about the, if you've, if you've thought about um, wh- how, why it works, because we, we've we got a lot of uh, aero, aero nerds that listen to this podcast. I know that for a fact, because they keep writing to us. Um, so if you, <laughs> if you know, or, or can hazard a guess as to why this flexible membrane that deflects under this wind load, um, how is it that you know, it prevents, it delays stall, let's say, and, and how does it do what it does? If you if you know for, if you have a, a good working theory or even if you just want to take a complete flyer at it, it'd be fun to do. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I, I think we know pretty much why it works. I mean, you,
3: now you can see it. Um, yeah, like we have a bunch of video and Nick's, you know, hooked up a bunch of cameras on, on bikes and even like stills that, you know, if you can see of riders on it, you can see the, the surface is deforming so you can see that it doesn't stay flat Yeah, it curves just the same way a sail does so it has a better nose shape because mm-hmm. it'll curve into the wind and then it just ducks it around and it exits out the back so it's exactly like a sail
0: yeah but it also holds on it holds onto the wind because like you know when you like the Bernoulli is affecting like when you blow on a piece of paper over top of a piece of paper mm-hmm. the piece of paper like rises and holds because it holds onto the air and the air pulls it like so that's what happens too so as wind passes over it moves the sidewall so that it can stay attached because it pulls the sidewall um towards that sort like boundary layer of like or your laminar flow um that you know the air that's passing through it and then it just it doesn't stall it's, it stays nice and smooth
1: so coming from um admittedly a huge aero nerd uh (laughs) seeing some of the images that you've got on your website the the shape that this is taking if you look at uh kind of the evolution of aerodynamics when you look at say a flat plane airfoil um the way that you typically improve that is either by adding thickness or by adding camber and camber is kind of the curvature in one direction Um, wheels you couldn't ever really add camber to before because they uh i mean you're you have to know which direction the wind is coming in order to do that. You can't have a, wind, a wheel that's curved in, you know, a cup in one direction. I think you're um, just patenting a track wheel right now, Andrew, <laughs> as you're talking about <laughs> Those high, <Yeah>. high crosswind <laughs> <direction>. track Yeah. <laughs> so, the, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's basically recreating this this camber shape, very similar to what, I don't know, 50 years of development had optimized as well through, uh, through NACA, like the National Aeronautics Commission. Um, which is, uh, yeah, I mean, where all the, the best aerodynamicists came from in the, you know, the 30s, 40s, 50s. And you have basically recreated the same shape through this flexible membrane that's self-optimizing, which, I mean, for me is just mind-blowing. It's so cool. Um, so I guess that was my kind of, not a rant, but just a, a passionate speech about how interesting this, this shape is. And even, even on your website, you've got, I think, an image of a bat, and like it's it's a further proof that this is an effective method, uh, because you know millions of years of evolution has led to bats with flexible membranes for wings that fly pretty efficiently. Um, so the fact that they're pretty prolific in some areas um, just indicates that it's not a bad solution.
3: We've also learned a lot about you know the two sides because we had theories that we've since disproved about which side was more important and how they would react, and it's like and you know, so we've learned a lot about how the two sides are acting. They're quite independent, and uh, it's quite neat to see uh, how we've learned to make the the wheel faster and faster by playing with you know where it attaches and and how it how it how it works on one side versus the other. And it's like,, yeah, it's kind of neat. They really are self self optimizing on both sides independently. It's just and you can actually see it they're working with the frame so you can see so different shapes. Uh, on different parts of the wheel where it's interacting with the frame differently. It's oh, just like cool. you could never do this. Like you you mm-hmm. couldn't design this to do yeah. this. It's just natural, you know, evol- well not evolution because it's a It's
0: like it's super passive yeah, it's in the way that it reacts
1: simple but in, and in,
0: an, in a in a in yeah, in a perfect way. <laughs>
1: huh. yep. So is the next step then having like two-layer sails for sailboats that are faster and can, it, they are doing a lot of that yeah. each other. Also, we, were, we were
3: looking at america's cup of the last uh, the last two generations and yeah like i mean we're doing a very similar amount of uh, or very similar designs to kind of what they're thinking um and we've had some help from the sailing community so a lot of, one of the guys that was principal designer of uh new zealand yachts was uh was very helpful to us so
1: yeah. I hear they've done yeah, well. They seem to know something <laughs> or two. They're not bad. <laughs> so, you've got this phenomenal design that's performing to the point where people like Michael think you're actually making up the data. Um, so, you know.
2: I'm skeptical. Healthy skepticism is a good thing, it's,
1: I think. It's absolutely a good thing. Um, but the fact that, yeah, very new design, so it's going to take some new manufacturing and then. Uh, Nick, you approached Phil and got him on board. You convinced him that you weren't crazy and you actually had a good idea. I <laughs> might um, still be crazy. So, <laughs> 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 well, maybe, and, I think it yeah, takes a little crazy bit of that.
0: <laughs> I've got him fooled. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: For someone like yourself, Phil, you've been through the entire process with Cervello. You've been you know, riding the same kind of business wave with four eyes. You've worked for big companies with uh, relatively large budgets. What's it like for you going back to, you know, pure startup phase? Is it exciting? Is it, I don't know, what, what did you feel when you kind of got back on board with Nick?
3: Well, I think, I think there's two sides to it. Um, you know, there's the, there's the business side of it, and then there's the, uh, the technology side of it. And, uh, yeah, like a startup is kind of like the worst of all worlds, it's like it's like I don't know what possessed me to, to think about doing it again uh, from a business side because uh, I should have learned my lesson uh, the first time um, but you know it's the technology side of it like this is cool I mean we're having this discussion not because it's a brilliant business model but because it's a super cool idea that you know no one's ever figured out how to do and I remember we were struggling when we were at, uh, Gerard and I were at cervello and we were going like, how do you make something that that you know, we can adjust the shape of, and you know like, and I know that, you know, I'm sure everyone else has kind of struggled with that same thing of how do we do this? And it's like, well, this is, this is it. You know, this is, this is the answer to all those overly complex electronically controlled solutions I'd been dreaming up, you know, <laughs> and this is just, you know, simple and lightweight. Like this is just brilliant. So and it was just really like, this is kind of cool. It deserves, someone deserves, someone needs to take this out. Because this is the next big step. I mean, how do you make something that's super easy to ride in any conditions and way faster? I mean, so it's this is the e-bike of non-e-bikes.
1: It's wind
2: doping.
0: It's wind- a <laughs> yeah. it <is>. <laughs> mechanical so far legal doping practice. Until, <laughs>
1: <laughs> until until the UCI tells us otherwise, it's totally legal. <laughs> so one of the other challenges so not only are you going back into the startup mode but now um you're doing this development during a pandemic and you've you've highlighted some of the concerns there uh with just the challenges in finding prototypes but what about supply chain like this is something that uh, we chatted about off air but you're you're trying to approach a broken supply chain like no one can get really anything right now the the bike industry is on its knees the electronics industry is on its knees the automotive industry is on its knees um, so what kind of challenges are you facing there
3: well i mean it's still possible to get something as long as you don't want it for the next year and a half so uh <laughs> yeah, we get quotes on <laughs> yeah. lead times for rims of a year and a half and we managed to we talked to someone else and they said oh, i can get you really fast what's that it's a year so, so and then you know you're paying freight that's you know four to five times what it was uh, two years ago. Um, yeah, we've still got things that have been lost and in, in shipment, and we're never really going to get it back. So, you know, it's like, yeah, it kind of sucks, but uh, you've got just got to figure out a way around it. And um, you know, I guess from that standpoint, we're not missing much of the of the market because the the tri market's been hammered the last. Uh, year we haven't really been having anything so um Mm -hmm. i I, I can't really call that good news i mean i'd much rather see the triathlon market flourishing but anyways it's a it is what it is and it's like you deal with it so and nick's been really good at figuring out how to get stuff and but yeah i mean she spent a lot of time standing online um waiting for stuff and uh (laughs) yeah things we ordered just show up randomly months later so yes yeah, it's, it's frustrating for sure mm-hmm. the nice thing is nick's uh, really good at making stuff so i mean you know we're kind of flipping and, and maybe self-deprecating about the wheels but we made our own wheels to test in the wind tunnel so you know mdf blanks or you know we'd get a rim and then nick would make spokes out of uh, you know carbon spokes for it and you know we would just make stuff to to, to be good enough for the wind tunnel So yeah, and they're generally rideable as well. So we can do that. And we've got that sort of flexibility, which is nice. I mean, that's the nice thing about a startup is you don't, Mm -hmm. you just find ways to make stuff happen. You don't say, oh, I couldn't get the part. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you can just make it.
2: (laughs) Find it somewhere. I. I, uh, I I learned an interesting bit um, actually from your from from Gerard from uh, your former business partner uh, Phil. Uh, he was on the Nerd Alert podcast talking about the um, the uh, the th- the manufacturing cells that 3T is putting together, and I'm sure you've this has come across your desk too, that where they're they're starting to build at least some of their frames in Italy um, using filament winding uh, amongst other things. Obviously didn't go into a ton of detail, but uh, I'm curious to hear, and I know we're getting a little bit off topic. But it's sort of the topical on the supply chain problem. Uh, I'm curious to to uh, get your take on whether or not that's something that you think we'll see, you know, in North America, given all the supply chain issues, and if it's something that might help soar out where you can contract out to somebody who's local who can wind your rims for you and uh, and and get you, give you a bit of a of a logistics leg up.
3: Yeah, I think that uh, you know back in the day, uh, well, crumbs. I guess when when Gerardner was still at uh, at Cervelo, we were looking at. Okay, how are we? What what did we see as the evolution of manufacturing? And we really thought that uh, to go to the next level, we were going to have to do uh, things a different way, like doing things in Asia with Asian manufacturers. They're very happy to do things as long as you bring them a product that they can use their current manufacturing technology on. They're generally not interested in trying anything radically new. Um, and we felt that go to go to the next level, we had to look at different ways of doing things. So that's why we set up our Project California thing, mm. and um, and so those early bikes were, were great uh, tools to try things out. And I think we still, uh, and we also looked at, at the same time, we looked at, okay, so what does it really cost to make something in Asia versus North America when you're doing small volumes, especially, um, you know, there's a cost to having the money tied up as it's, uh, you know, six weeks or eight weeks on the water. Um, there's, you know, costs involved in going over and flying over to, to look at your factories. Um, and then the factories can't react quickly, you know, with, uh, you know, your own factory here in North America, you can walk out the back and change something immediately. So, you know, if Nick and I are making wheels, we need fronts instead of wheels or rears, you know, you walk out the back and you change, change the setting and put a new, new hub in there and off you go. So, you know, there, there are, there are benefits to being close to the customer and being very reactive that actually cut your costs. So I spoke to several different companies, uh, including some in the bike industry. And they said, yeah, like 20%. I go, so 20% more expensive? It's all it is, is just 20% more to make it in North America? And they said, no, 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 you're not getting it. It's 20% cheaper to make it in North America. So, um, you know, and these were people, at companies that knew what they were doing and well-established. And that uh, incidentally, it was GE that also came up with that sort of same number. So they brought... You know, uh, a washing machine back from China manufacturer made it in Kentucky and they re-engineered it. They had to figure out a different way to make it um, to to make it more suitable for North American production. But again, you know, close to 20%. So I think that there's a real opportunity. And right now, I mean, we're using such low volumes uh, that no one wants to deal with us anyways. So, um, you know, you got to find mm-hmm. someone that's flexible and willing to work with you and hopefully close to home because... You know, we're new. We're gonna screw stuff up. You know, it's the known unknowns. You know there's things out there that we're gonna make mistakes <laughs> on and we're gonna to have to redo that rim. So might as well have it close at hand.
1: Are the known unknowns different than the unknown unknowns that people usually deal with? Or? <laughs> is this is like the pod kettle <laughs> conversation all over again. Yes. <laughs> Oh my. Uh, no, it's super interesting points though, um, and I think like the reactive nature of it and the low volume nature of it really suits it too being local. So it's uh it's cool to hear that kind of discussion and I think even talking to Dia from Ventum they were onshoring a lot of their manufacturing and other companies are starting to do the same. Um so at high volumes at you know a certain point when you're doing something super generic and and uh you don't have any changes in volume expectations all of that um it it makes sense to do offshore manufacturing but I think there's a lot of times when onshore manufacturing makes sense as well.
2: Yep. I think you're right. So, with all of these known or unknown unknowns, um, you know, my my burning question is when 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 can I see one, and when can I ride one, when can I buy one? And I think that's probably the the question that a lot of the folks that are um that that are listening are wondering too. And I know that you guys have some some pros, and uh, some of whom we can definitely talk about have, have, have some really pretty outstanding results in recent races. Um, so maybe talk talk a little bit about how you guys actually do have. Have wheels under people on bicycles currently, and and then maybe when when can uh, you know Joe average me hope to buy one of these things.
3: Well, see this advantage having Nick, who's a wizard at uh, making stuff. So we can take <laughs> your wheel and we can make it into a a, a soar uh, disc, and uh, you know we get those levels oh. of performance. Um, it's not every wheel, so it's uh, we can, but we can do that. We can work with what you've got. Um, that doesn't really make it the transition from that to full production is a little bit of a stretch though. So that's where we can keep, uh, we can make wheels for pros. We can take, you know, some small volume stuff and, and, and custom make uh, the wheel for you. But uh, the real trick is how do we get it to the point where, they just pop off a small, but an assembly line. So it's we don't have to do, you know. Send us your wheel, and we'll make it uh, fifty times faster. You don't
2: want to say you don't. You don't want to say pop off and wheels. Maybe in one in one sentence, like that's that's how you got the lawyer tabs. You know, forty years ago, yes. or whenever that was, and the forks, yeah. So sorry i i can't i can't let those go by maybe i'll edit myself out (laughs) no it's good
3: (laughs) no but nick's been doing this for a long time and yeah some wheels work better than others and uh, some rims some hubs and it's a combination of that so um sometimes we can't do it but you know sometimes we can but then that's why we also put the Hmm. like people look at me that's nine thousand dollars what's ridiculous it's like well, you know, can you get any wheel these days? <laughs> so, I mean, it'd be a hell of a deal <laughs> if we could. But it's like, you know, we can take your wheel and for, you know, we can for a few, for a bit of work, hand done, we'll make your wheel a lot faster. Uh, we haven't really, you know, of course, the the, volu- uh, the, uh, the price is going to come down with time, but it, we didn't want to kind of set an unrealistic mm-hmm. uh, expectation out there on on price when we don't even have you know final production prototypes yet
0: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and i think it's it's good timing too because you can prove the technology you can get people on board with it show the results and then the interest will build um so as people find out this is the fastest solution like how much how much money do people spend on their bikes already? So yeah, whatever true. it costs, like there's people who are willing to pay for it. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, everyone should be justifying ultra high prices that way, but at the moment um, it's supply and demand where there's just mm-hmm. no supply for anything. So it, it's the logical way to start, I think. Yeah.
0: Even your, I mean, your cost for watt savings or whatever it is, it's still like, it's still probably not a bad, even though we know that it'll probably the price will probably come down, um, you know, once we figure out a pretty seamless and uh, efficient way to produce them, but even just for the results that you can get, you know, lighter, faster, more stable, it's still not a bad
1: trade-off. Mm-hmm. You know, a good way to compare this is uh, maybe not in the day when Cervelo started, but uh, when you look at a lot of the superbikes now, I mean, the difference between them, just like the difference between disc wheels in the wind tunnel, is so marginal to have like a true standout advantage um that really sets you apart. Like it's it justifies extra cost there. And once the supply chain stuff sorts itself out, then I think, yeah, the you'll figure out the manufacturing, it'll come into play.
3: Yeah. And and really you know, the nice thing is like people that are on they're willing to try the the bleeding edge of things are generally willing to put up with a little more aggravation and generally cost if it's a high performance mm-hmm. solution as well. So um, you know, we're not, we're totally. not, not attaching, or not attracting the, you know, the laggards of the technology adoption curve yet. We'll get to <laughs> them eventually. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Makes sense. So at the at the at the moment, if somebody is interested in uh, in trying a wheel, it's a uh, send Nick an email, uh, yeah. tell her what you got, and she'll she'll send <laughs> you a you know a quote a quote uh, based on uh, based on what you can do, and then go from there. Is that right? Pretty much. Yep
0: that would
1: probably be the only, yeah that's the option <laughs> so what are the next steps then for source cycles what uh how would you ideally like to grow this business
3: well we've really got to get it into production um, and you know the, the thing is the wheel market's uh, not huge I uh, said so the disk wheel market is is obviously much smaller um, and we're not trying to be a huge wheel company where we we had this discussion early on like what do you want to do with this and I said I'm kind of I don't really want to build a huge company again. I want. I want to make some cool shit that matters. Sorry, I can't get a, that. I, I got to make some cool stuff that matters. No, you can totally. You can
2: totally. You can. You can curse on this. On this show, should have told you that up front.
1: Ooh. We have that explicit. Explicit <laughs> I didn't know uh, that. box tick. <laughs>
2: Oh, Nicole going to now cram all of that in pants, hair, swearing in the, in the last 10
1: minutes of the show. We missed 45 minutes of explanation. I'll get out all my quota right now. <laughs> so
3: it's like, you know, we're not trying to, to and, and we've said, you know, like, how do we get it out there? I mean, I think it's, I think it's a real advantage or we think it's a real advantage. Um, not just the fact that it's fast, but it's so easy to ride. And um, so mm-hmm. I think it, you know, we've said, well, we'd be happy to license it.
0: And anyone, anyone can ride, yeah. and yeah, and that's that's the thing. I'm like, all, all bikes should look like this. All wheels should look like like it's like yeah. yeah
3: so. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, like you might say that, oh yeah, you know, we'd be happy to license. it. Everyone goes, yeah. I'll wait till it's proved in the market for a while. So I don't expect anyone's going to come knocking on our door. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to do this, like you know, okay, mm. so you got to prototype, it, but now we've got to take it to to small rate to low rate initial production. And that's fine. We can do that, and it's not not a huge uh, investment to do that. Um, so yeah, it's going to grow the business slowly and uh, and in a way that's manageable and enjoyable. I mean, I think with Cervelo we were, uh we grew it very fast. Like uh, we had you know an average I think it was like forty two or forty eight percent growth for the first six or eight years. It was just like, but that's really hard to manage that, and it's not terribly fun. Mm-hmm. So. I don't intend to do that again. <laughs> I want to actually enjoy it this time. <laughs> so uh, instead of all that stress. Yeah. So that's, that's a thing. It's like, let's, let's grow up. It's not, you know, the disc wheel market isn't huge, but it can be much bigger than it is because the reason it's not huge is because everyone thinks they can't ride it and you can ride these. And we, we even, we were up at the airport hmm. uh, with a couple of athletes. What was it, Nick? I was, guess it was in, in August yeah. and we had a front was, disc. Yeah. And we were riding like near the airport, just wickedly windy. I mean, people don't even ride 60 yes. millimeter rims up there. And we go, look, try this. It's a front disc. And people are going, you can't ride that.
0: And with a rear disc on as well. a so,
3: double disc in the wind next to an airport. And it's just like,
0: it Yeah, was like next to the runway at Pearson. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I've ridden that. I've ridden that TT course many times, and I would. <laughs> I would be. You know, uh, my 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 bib shorts would be would be messy at the end of that <laughs> ride. With a front disc. Right? I cannot imagine doing that.
1: I'll tell you what, if you can uh, come out to Cochrane on a windy day and ride the wheels here, then I will be absolutely convinced. I think- <laughs> you need a world tour now. <laughs>
0: no problem. No problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think actually the uh, the forecast for today when we're recording this is 90 kilometer an hour wind gusts uh, later well, okay. tonight. Well, so- you win. That would be a good testing yeah. day. It <laughs> would be...
2: But uh, we do. Uh, we have been doing some, uh, as listeners, you'll know, uh, some some aero testing in Ontario around well around the Toronto area where I'm based. So I would love to get my hands on on one of these just to, just as a test uh, for, for for just to see what what our field test uh, CDA numbers look like versus let's say. You know, a flat disc or, or, uh, you know, or even a lenticular, depending on what you guys have in your stable. But, um, it would be, it'd be definitely a a fun arrow test to do just to see. Obviously, it's, it would be an N equals one based on conditions very much kind of test. But, uh, you know, there's, there are lots of farmers' fields out here, as all of you guys know. And, uh, you know, maybe not 90 kilometer an hour (laughs) crosswinds, but we were just testing. Uh, we were we were out there with uh, Mark Graveline, who's uh, the no guy, now gizmo guy. Um, we were comparing notes between what we use and what he uses Uh, last Friday. And, you know, the winds were probably around 30, 35 kilometers an hour, high yaw, sort of like r- hitting us right from the side. And so uh, the, I, I imagine that would be a, a perfect day to, to give yeah. it a go. Yeah, I will
1: have yeah. to do that. That'll be Anything fun. high
0: yaw is great. Yeah, yeah definitely. For
1: sure. Yeah, anytime at your disposal. So, I guess one other point that we wanted to to bring up uh, very quickly is you've got some pro athletes who are riding the wheels, and one of them had a pretty stellar performance over the weekend. So, um, yeah, do you Feel want free to-, to shout out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So t- 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 we we t- had a- <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah we uh, we had her on the podcast. Was it last week or two weeks ago? Uh, two um, weeks back. Yeah, and she has recently. Uh, so we found out then that she was riding your wheels, which is a super cool coincidence. Um, but then she went on at uh, Georgia or the Augusta seventy point three race to uh, to set the fastest ever uh, run split by a woman. Um, so incredible performance! It was a one thirteen and change. I can't remember the exact seconds. low, I think. Yeah. So. I think uh I mean she's a phenomenal runner but you've got to credit some of that to the stability she had on the bike because of these wheels right all oh, of it <laughs> we'll just go with that take the credit <laughs> and, like,
0: not to take anything away from her because she's pretty damn incredible but it's like yeah you never know but I I would I would hope that it had a tiny bit. yeah you know I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> yeah. I bow no, down to her, so it's fine. <laughs>
1: it's it's yeah. always good to see Canadian athletes. I mean, this is the national pride, but to see Canadian athletes do well on in the international stage like that and set such high benchmarks. So um, so I think, I mean, she's got a great oh, future yeah. going she's forward. Like, she's only been a pro for a couple of years. grow a couple of years and right. she'll
3: be, yeah. She'll have to join oh, the men's yeah. field. Beat them.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Keep things dry. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. awesome well uh phil nick this has been a really fun conversation and it's one uh as andrew mentioned in the uh in the opening uh the, his opening salvo we've been trying to uh we've been trying to get you on the show for quite some time so f- thank you so much for for agreeing to come on and uh and organizing and coordinating and uh really telling us about this really super duper interesting uh interesting product that you guys have going. Well, thanks for having us on it was fun
0: thank you yes very yes very fun
1: and for anyone listening, we recommend to go to the website, uh, source cycles.com. Is that right? Yes. Uh, and check out some of the videos and uh, just keep an eye on when mass production starts up, because I think I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of our listeners will be very, very interested in what you've got going. So I know I am.
0: Yeah. They can sign up for, there's a subscription thing where at least we know like once. So once we get updates of, Hey, they're ready. Like, um we can at least send out notification to anyone interested so
1: excellent
2: and nick i'll, I'll send you an email with with like with uh, uh, you know a request for tell me tell me what kind of wheel this would work on and let me see what let me see what i can find in my garage <laughs> perfect do it <laughs> awesome Uh, So with that, listeners, thanks as always for tuning in, spending a bit of time with us. Um, If you like the show, give us a rating and a review. Uh, Certainly check out Source Cycles uh, and see what they're all about. Um, And then tune in next week. Thanks, everyone.